wants $20? <laughs> All right. I thought I'd pay you guys starting right out. Okay. Now who wants the $20? Okay. Who wants the $20 now? Uh, all right. Now who wants it? Okay. We're going we're gonna to forget about this $20 for a little bit, all right? This bill is still $20. No matter what has happened to it, no matter what's been done, no matter what it was spent on, that bill is still worth $20. Its value never changes. So uh, tonight, we're talking about parables in our series, Pictures of Heaven. And so uh, you might have heard of parables. Uh, the definition that I always hear Pastor Brian saying is they are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Um, the Webster's definition is actually a usually short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral story or a religious principle. And Jesus used these parables to teach his disciples the gospel is actually full of them. So we're just covering a few of them here. So just to recap, in week one of this series, Rick talked about the parable of the foolish builder. And then we had Sandra talking about the parable of the sower. Week three, Maddie talked about the parable of the hidden treasure. And it is my great pleasure tonight to talk to you about the parable of the lost sheep. So I'm going to set it up a little bit here. We're in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to, we find Jesus eating with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were rule followers. They um, were very well versed in the Old Testament. They knew the laws, and they prided themselves on their ability to follow those laws perfectly. So they were always looking at Jesus, who was out there teaching, and wondering, why is Jesus sitting here with the tax collectors and the sinners? Uh, and in case you don't know why the tax collectors were lumped in with the sinners, it's because back in those days, the tax collectors actually could charge whatever they want and then just take the extra money and just keep it in their pocket. So as you can imagine, they probably didn't have a lot of friends. So they were trying to catch Jesus in the act. They were trying to catch him sinning or not following the rules. And Jesus uses this parable to, tell, to show them that God loves everyone. So you can put it up here. Oh, very good. Luke 15, 3 to 15, 7. So it's kind of a long one this week. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness to go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So as I read through this parable, I thought, okay, if I was a shepherd, I probably like wouldn't leave the 99 sheep to go find one. But of course, I'm not a shepherd. I don't know how to think like a shepherd. So I wanted to kind of put it into perspective for you. Jesus was really, really intentional about using shepherds. Because the Pharisees were really familiar with shepherds. They considered them unclean, kind of the bottom of the barrel. And that was for two reasons. Number one, the shepherds, because of the nature of their job, they were out with their sheep all day long. They didn't get to attend church very often. So they actually missed the services, and that was obviously not a good thing when you're following the law. Um, the other thing was that shepherds were physically unclean. So they spent all day long with the sheep, hanging out with the sheep. They probably didn't smell very good. They probably didn't <laughs> look very clean. 
So the role of a shepherd during that time was as a leader to lead his flock in and among the hills of Palestine, searching for grass and clean water to protect them from predators. So back then, it was a little different. Um, Their predators were like bears, hyenas, jackals. I don't even know what a jackal is, but that was a predator back then. And leopards were known to roam the hills and hunt after the sheep. So it wasn't unusual for a sheep or a shepherd to literally risk his life for his sheep. Um, Sometimes the sheep would fall into a crevice and the shepherd would have to like climb into the crevice to pull them out to safety. And it wasn't uncommon, I think there's a picture, there you go. It wasn't uncommon for a shepherd to actually put his sheep on his shoulders and literally carry him home. So I wanted to break down the parable a little bit into kind of how the Pharisees would have understood it at that time. So we're going to go through the earthly story part of it first. So starting with 15.4, which one of you, if he has 100 sheep and loses one of them, would not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go look for the one that is lost until he finds it? So a person owning 100 sheep back then was not only... um, he, like had a lot of money, was a modest income. So not only was he attached to his sheep because, you know, he spent all day long and got to know his sheep, but also financially the sheep would have been very valuable. Um, sheep were counted at the end of the day. So have you ever heard about counting sheep before you go to bed at night, of course? Well, it probably came from this because the shepherd literally would count his sheep at the end of the day. It would have been dark. And... Uh, a shepherd knew his sheep. So I said a little bit, you know, a shepherd spent all day long hanging out with the sheep. He knew them, probably knew them each by name. So I want you to imagine for a second that you're gathering your sheep at the end of the day and you're counting them, right? So you get up to like 97 and you're like, all right, come on, Snowball. 98, good job, Patches. 99, hurry it up, Cream Puff. And then all of a sudden it's like, where's 100? Where's Squishy? Squishy's missing. So, obviously, coming up short in a place where there was predators, there's dehydration to fear, these crevices, all of these things, would be pretty scary for the shepherd. Just when the shepherd thought he was ready to hang out and relax with hot dogs and cocoa around his campfire at the end of the night, he's got to grab his rod for fighting off predators, he's got to get his torch so he can see, put on his sandals, and head out to find Squishy. So next verse, then when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Returning home, he calls his friends and neighbors, so all the other shepherds. He's like, hey, everybody, come on over here. Telling them, rejoice with me. Break out the hot dogs and the cocoa because I have found my sheep squishy that was lost. So now for the heavenly meeting. Meaning, 15.7, I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have need to repent. So one person who repents and turns to Jesus brings greater joy than 99 others who feel like they don't have to repent. Because really the Pharisees weren't perfect either, but they felt like they were. They were following the, the, the law, you know. Um, Heaven literally has a party when one person says, I'm going home to God, I'm going to live my life for him. So I wanted to tell you some characteristics of sheep that you might not know. They are literally the only animal that cannot defend themselves. They literally need a savior to defend them from danger. We also need a savior. I mean, it wasn't an accident that, that Jesus chose us to compare us to sheep. They produce wool. So a sheep cannot make the choice to not produce wool. 
He literally produces wool, and then they shave it off, and then he produces wool again. Just, just as a sheep, you and I have all been gifted with very special, specific gifts that we can't not share with others. Sheep are picky eaters. They're very, they only eat grass. I didn't know this either. They, they only eat grass. It has to be nice green grass, and the water has to be, like, filtered. <laughs> not really filtered, but, like, fresh and pure water. And just like sheep, our souls crave the pure word of God to nourish. Okay, this story I thought was really interesting. So sheep hear the voice of their shepherd. So as I was researching this, I found that uh, many stories about this lake in Africa where a bunch of shepherds come and they bring all their sheep because they all share the same water. And people were wondering, like, there's 300 sheep down here. How does the shepherd keep track of which sheep are his? I mean, I'm sure if you've seen sheep, they all look very similar, right? Um, but literally what happens is the shepherd stands back, calls his sheep, and all of the sheep come to him. They literally know their shepherd. And just as sheep, we are created to recognize the voice of our Savior, Jesus. He is literally waiting for us to just listen. Sheep have no sense of direction. So some people say that sheep are dumb. They actually aren't. But sheep will follow whoever is leading them. You know that saying, I'm sure your parents have said this to you before, if your friend jumped off a cliff, would you? <laughs> well, the fact is that if you research sheep following each other, you will find dozens of articles about sheep literally following each other off of a cliff. So, you're not going to believe this. All right, this is an actual news story. In 2005, this is the worst example of sheep following each other off of a cliff ever. So this is in Istanbul, Turkey. Here's the article. First, one sheep jumped to its death. Then stunned Turkish shepherds who had left the herd to graze while they had breakfast watched as nearly 1,500 others followed. Crazy, right? Each leaping off the same cliff, Turkish media reported, in the end, 450 animals died. You know how the other 1,150 survived? What do you guys think? How do you think they survived? They literally landed on their friends. Like, they made a nice little pillowy blanket. I know, so sad. Poor sheep. Okay. <laughs> Just as sheep, we are prone to wander. Many of us would follow our friends off of a cliff if we didn't have proper direction. So I've asked myself, as you may ask yourself, is this too good to be true? Is God really that good that he would come after me even when I wander, even when I'm unfaithful to him? Just like the shepherd chased after the one sheep, would God really chase after me? Do you know that the first question in the Bible, Genesis 3, chapter 9, is where are you? So I'm, I know we're all familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, but when Adam and Eve strayed, you know, they went and hid. God came out and said, where are you? Now, he's God, so he obviously knew where they were. He didn't need them to, like, call out their name. But it's just a great example of how since the very beginning of time, God has been searching for us, searching our hearts, waiting to carry us home. It's easy to believe that God will turn away from us in disgust when we sin, that when we wander, when we sin, when we do the wrong thing, he will forget about us or give up on us. But did you catch the big question in that parable? And it was, if a, if a man has a hundred sheep and he loses one, what will he do? 
So as Jesus asked this question of the Pharisees, we can ask this question of Jesus, right? What will he do if he knows about my addiction? What will he do if I don't clean myself up before I come to him? What will he do if he knows what I've done? What, if he, what will he do if he knows what's been done to me? What will he do if he knows what I'm capable of? Or you may ask yourself something that I asked myself. What will he do if he knows I'm, I'm not worthy? Jesus asked this question to the Pharisees, and I'm sure they all had their own answers, but we do too. We can believe that when we wonder that God won't care, or that God will forget about us, or God has better people to worry about, right? And I was, as I was thinking about this question, the lies that I believed just kept coming up over and over again. So I'm going to be very vulnerable with you guys right now. I'm going to share a little story. You can put the baby photo up. So I was born to an 18-year-old mother and a 19-year-old father who really didn't want to, nor were ready to be parents. You can kind of tell by the look on their face there, right? <laughs> My dad is like, what is this thing? <laughs> anyway. Um, I found out later that I had an older sibling, sibling, actually, that was aborted. My mom had grown up in an extremely abusive household, and because of the nature of her abuse, she wanted out as quickly as possible. And she was drawn to men that hurt her. My parents married after my mom got pregnant with me, and one year later, they had my brother. After my father cheated on my mom one too many times, my parents got divorced when I was only two years old. My mom went on to marry five more times. Sorry. Okay. And she continued to choose men that hurt her and my brother and I. We never lived in a home with more than two years, ever. We either lived with a friend or a boyfriend or a new husband, and every man she dated, my brother and I had to call him dad. And he was the head of the household. I tried to find photos of myself growing up, and literally every one of them looks like this. Like, I don't have happy kid pictures, although just to break up the sadness a little bit, I did have one that I had to laugh at, and you might too. This is me swimming in my backyard swimming pool. <laughs> I was fine. Anyway. Um, okay. My father is an alcoholic, and he chose drinking and drugs over parenting. And so many white nights, I waited all night praying for him to come pick me up for his weekends and being disappointed yet again. And when he did come, he spent his time with us, taking us to parties and telling us to stay out of his way. Children were meant to be seen and heard, although I never felt seen and when I was hurt, I was hurt. Badly. I can't even tell you how many times CPS visited our home or made us leave. Although God was always my safe place, no matter how dark things got, I never felt worthy of his time or attention. If my own father couldn't leave a party for me, why would God care enough to ever come looking for me? It was thoughts like this that led me further and further from God. Oh, well, I got to speed up, I guess. <laughs> Here's some things I believed. I believed that I wasn't worthy to be pursued by God. I believed that when I didn't read my Bible, or if I didn't go to church, or if I forgot to pray, 
that I had to like make myself right before God again, before I could come back. I had to be perfect. I believe that when God accepted my apology and took me back, that he'd be disappointed in me. Can you relate? Maybe these are things you can relate to when you think about how God will rescue you. But one thing I want you to catch here is the sheep, they didn't do anything. The sheep were just out there wandering. He didn't stop what he was doing, a little squishy. He didn't clean himself up first. The shepherd came and looked for the sheep. God pursues us in our mess, in our wandering, in our distraction. So let's look at how God answers this question. The answer is really simple. God answers the question with this. He will never get tired of bringing us home. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to bring others along with us. And I just want to say it again for emphasis, for you specifically. He will never, ever get tired of bringing you home. You home. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to bring others with him. Into his love, into his grace, into his goodness. You are worth it. God looks at you, he looks at me, as someone worth chasing after. His love for you is amazing. No matter what's been done to you, you are the one. No matter how unclean you feel, you are the one. No matter how far you've strayed, no matter what you've been spent on, no matter how much you feel like you've been forgotten or unworthy, you are the one. God's love is personal for every one of us. His love is patient. His love rejoices when it finds us and it never stops seeking us. His love is protective of us and it keeps us safe. Romans 8.38 says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No matter how far you have strayed, he will never get tired of bringing you home. So to make my second point here in two minutes... (laughs) Jesus knew also that by telling this story to the Pharisees that they were going to remember the story of of the Israelites, of God's chosen people. So again, Pharisees were very well versed in the Old Testament, right? And they were an example of God's mercy being poured out over and over again. Because if you remember, you know, the Israelites, they went out, um, they were rescued from slavery, and then they went and complained in the desert. God brought them to the promised land, and they chose to follow another king. And yet God's mercy, time and time again, continued to chase after them and pursue them out of his love. In Exodus 34, 6, 7, it says, Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations, and I forgive inequity, rebellion, and sin. You see, Jesus was saying this story, this parable that I'm telling you right now, it fits into a greater story. That same God that never stopped chasing the Israelites will never stop chasing you. And he was telling the Pharisees, just as he gave mercy to the Israelites, he'll give you mercy time and time again, no matter what you do or how many times you've turned away from him. But Jesus wasn't just talking to the Pharisees, he was talking to you and he was talking to me. And he's saying that 2,000 years later, we still fit into this story. That God's love will continue to chase us and pursue us, even when we turn away. That when we feel worthless, God says we are worthy. When we feel lost, he seeks us out. And when we don't know where to go or what to do, God is right there, 
ready to show us. It changes the way we interact with people. Because while God is never going to give up bringing you home, we are called to extend that same grace and love to others. So what do we do with our friends and family members who don't know God? With those people who look different than us, who sound different than us? With those people who make bad choices, those people that sit at the other table at school, those people who cuss or the sinners? What do we do with those people? Okay, I'm going to share another personal story with you even though I just ran out of time. Do I have to stop? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, there's a lot more to my story, but I'm going to fast forward. My mom went on to have a son with one of her husbands when I was 11 years old. He was an angry man who took pride in not only inflicting physical pain, but mental humiliation. I got used to being hurt, but I will never get over having to stand by and watch while he beat my mom and my brother. My little baby brother, Tony, was like a real-life doll to me. And I would do anything to protect him. But I couldn't because he was just a kid. And I was just a kid. And I didn't have power. Because of what Tony went through, he grew up angry and hurt. He didn't feel loved. He didn't feel ex accepted. He escaped from his father. Move, uh, my mom moved out of state when he was just 17 years old. And he came to live with Brian and I. And I did everything I could in my power to fix him. But two days after his 19th birthday, he took his life. But I just couldn't fix that. And I was so angry, so angry at God, so angry at the situation. If I could have died of a broken heart, I would have. I didn't mean to get up here and cry. And it was so hard for me to forgive the man who I thought was responsible for, for Tony, for losing him. But that same God who continues to pursue me no matter how far I've strayed, he pursues that man too. And I believe that I am called to extend God's mercy and grace to everyone. And that means him too. So I believe that God gave me a superhuman compassion towards this man because I knew that he was hurting too. So I forgave him and I prayed for him and I reached out to him with love and compassion and grace. And I saw him is that hurt little boy that God sees him as. To this day, I have a relationship with him. And that man has turned his life around. And he loves Jesus. And he's involved at his church. And he has a new family. And as far as I know, at least on the outside, they're all happy. <laughs> We're called as followers of Jesus to bring others into this incredible love. And that means when we are tired of praying, we keep praying. And when we're tired of showing up, guess what? We just keep showing up. And when we're tired of extending compassion to others who we don't feel like believe that, deserve that compassion, we keep extending compassion. 
Because we don't know when God wants to use us to move in someone else's life. This $20 crumpled up, it still holds the same value as it did when it was crisp and new, before it was dropped and crumpled, before it was stepped on, before it was forgotten about. You are valuable, no matter what you have done, no matter what hurts you've been through, no matter what choices you've made, no matter how far you have strayed from God, every one of you is valuable and he will come out, he will do anything to search for you and find you and rejoice when you turn around. So in the words of Jeremy Camp from his song, Getting Started, if you only knew the treasure that you really are, if you could understand the measure of the Father's heart, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful, Lord, that your mercy is so big that it covers all of us, Lord. Thank you for the reminder that you would go to the ends of the earth, Lord, to seek us out and to find us. There's some of you here in this room, and I know that God is calling you to extend his love and compassion and grace to others. So, Lord, would you give those people the the boldness? Would you give them opportunities to share your love and your grace, Lord? Would you just speak to them and lead them in the words to say to reach other people? And I know there's some of you here, and maybe you've, you've never given your life to God. Maybe you've never reached out to Jesus. And maybe there's some of you who have just strayed so far away that you just don't feel like there's ever coming, there's no chance to come back. Lord, I pray for those people today, Lord. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I just ask you to repeat after me. Lord, I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of a Savior. Father, take control of my life. I give my life to you. In your name we pray. Amen.